What's up, y'all? We are back once again. On today's episode, we have the return of the Monday mailbag with a few NFL-related questions and a conference championship weekend roundup. Also going to get into a few NBA regular season and MLB offseason updates. Episode 31 coming at you right now. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. I'm Landon Pangburn, along with my brother and co-host, Preston Pangburn, coming off another great weekend in sports and just a great weekend in general. How was your weekend, Pete? Did you make better decisions than Matt before? <laughs> uh, I, I think that I did. I mean, it was a nice, well-rounded, relaxing weekend. I played six sets slash five hours of tennis, so I'm unreasonably sore today. So maybe that was a bad decision. But like you said, not not Lafleur level. And then on Saturday night, uh, I asked Tori. What are like the movies that you've never seen before? Like when you tell people you've never seen them, they kind of freak out. And I learned somehow, you know, two and a half years into our marriage that she had never seen Happy Gilmore, which was crazy. So we watched that. Yikes. Okay. Well, good. What'd you think? <laughs> uh, she liked it. I mean, obviously when you see a movie like that later in life, she thought it was stupid, but funny, <laughs> okay. of course. Okay. Um, but I mean, she clearly accepts that it's a historic piece of American cinema. It is. And then Sunday, Conference Championship Sunday, which was great. Very entertaining. But yeah, how was your weekend? My weekend was good. Uh, I had a little cookout on Friday night and then had a fire pit slash UFC watching party on Saturday, which was dope. I don't think you watched that, did you? I didn't. I kind of woke up to a bunch of memes about Conor McGregor getting knocked out. And what did the fight start at like one o'clock Eastern time in the morning? It was morning? like twelve thirty, which is pretty standard. I mean, when you get when you sign up to go watch UFC, the people you're expecting it to start at that time. So that's not unusual. Yeah, it's just an absolute grind. I saw a bunch of East Coast people, including like sports media East Coast people complaining about it, but I don't really know if there's a, a fix for that considering it's 9.30 p.m. Vegas time well, where the fights are happening. Sounds like they're a bunch of casuals if they were just figuring <laughs> out that it's going to start at that time now. It's been happening for the past 15 years of my life, so they can get over it. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I, I don't have any more defense for them there. <laughs> All right. Well, want to go ahead and jump into the return of the Monday Mailbag. It's been a minute since we've done this. It is. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do this again. We got some great questions on this Monday. So let's start off with this one from Josh Duskin. He said, how many NFL head coaches will bail out to go to college in 2021? And how did Bama get to Lando? What you got here? I'm, I'm not sure. Josh, I love you. I'm not <laughs> sure. I totally understand the question because I don't think I can remember really recently any coaches from the NFL really voluntarily jumping to college. I think the two from Bama, you were mentioning Doug Maroney and Bill O'Brien this offseason are both guys who got fired and are looking for new jobs. And Bama has clearly shown that they are the place to go for fired coaches trying to resurrect their careers. So I completely get that. I think the last big name coach that I can think of right at the top of my head who voluntarily left the NFL for college is Nick Saban. That has worked out well for him, but it's not like a really common thing. I'm surprised at the trend, how frequently it's happening, the opposite way of these college coaches jumping to the NFL. I think we're going to see a lot of that. I don't see any NFL coaches voluntarily jumping to college. What do you think? 
I'm with you on that. I, I, I think you're right about going back to Nick Saban. Did Jim Harbaugh get fired? Was that kind of like a mutual parting when he left the 49ers and yeah. went back to Michigan? I can't remember the exact circumstances around that, but that's, that might be one. Yeah, but that, that's just kind of how this goes now. I mean, we've we've joked about how it's the Tuscaloosa rehabilitation facility mm-hmm. for coaches' careers. I mean, look at what they've done for guys like Lane Kiffin, who went there and was offensive coordinator for a couple years, then got a head job at a smaller school, but now he's back in the SEC as a head coach at Ole Miss. And then most recently, Steve Sarkeesian, he spent two years just heading up an incredible Alabama offense and now he landed one of the top jobs in the country you know even though they've been down for a few years Texas is an incredible highly coveted job so yeah I I don't expect any NFL head coaches to voluntarily bail for college jobs but the guys who do they're just going to kind of keep getting retreaded through Alabama yeah it's the exact same thing that they do with players they've proven to players time and time again that if you go to Alabama we're going to put you in the NFL And so it's the same thing that they've done with coaches now. Coaches who get fired want to go there because they've proven it will resurrect your career and then you can go get another job, whether it's college or the NFL, you're going to be set for the future. Exactly. And I want to talk about Bill O'Brien real quick because after he kind of totally botched the job in Houston because they made him GM inexplicably and he traded DeAndre Hopkins for not nearly enough in return, he he was kind of public enemy number one there. I can't think of a coach who's kind of more hated in the football world right now. So offer me a prediction. In two years, where is Bill O'Brien? Oh, wow. I think Bill O'Brien is going to go back to college as far as head coaching is concerned. So he was most recently a coach in the NFL. I think he's going to go back and he's going to be a head coach at a Power 5 program in three years. I'm not going to go two. In three years, he's going to be a Power 5 head coach again. Okay, I'm going. He stays at Bama for two seasons and then ends up back in the Big Ten. I think he was a Penn State guy. So I'm going to go Wisconsin. Wisconsin head coach, two years. Okay. I, I think that's a very reasonable prediction. I don't, I'm not against that at all. All right, let's do it. All right, let's go to question number two. All right, cool. We've got two questions from the same guy, but he's the host of a radio show, a sports radio show, so he's allowed to get two. So his first one, this is Thomas Mott, by the way. His first question is, what is the best fit for Deshaun Watson and Matthew Stafford? What you got here? So my favorite fit for Deshaun Watson, for a couple reasons, is the Miami Dolphins. Okay. So I think that the Dolphins... First of all, I'm not sold on Tua. We've established this. You are an anti-Tua guy. I am not in on Tua. Uh, Fitzmagic, (laughs) I don't think he's going to win a Super Bowl with the Dolphins. So they could use an upgraded quarterback. I mean, they've really invested in that defense under Brian Flores. I think that they're, you know, a Deshaun Watson away from truly contending for a Super Bowl. So I love that fit, especially if they could, uh, you know, somehow get one of the free agent wide receivers to pair along with him. His boy, Will Fuller, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson's a free agent. I mean, if they could get one of those guys and get Deshaun, would be pretty incredible. And they're one of the few teams that has the draft capital. They're sitting there with the third overall pick and the 18th pick. And another reason why I like this fit is because it would require the Texans trading Deshaun just to get their third overall pick back (laughs) from the Laramie Tunsil trade, which is a terrible Bill O'Brien trade. So for those two reasons, I I really like the Deshaun fit with the Dolphins. What do you think about him? Yeah, that's interesting one. Like you said, their defense is really well established with a defensive head coach, but the offensive side of the ball is still lacking even if, if they get Deshaun Watson. They don't have a whole lot of weapons around him. The one that I've been hearing aside from the Dolphins that I really like, even though you might laugh at me for this, is the Jets. He's he's already come out and said that he would prefer to get traded to the Jets. They already hired Robert Sala. I always want to say Mo Sala because I'm a Liverpool fan, and <laughs> yeah. so, but they already hired Robert Sala, and he loves him. 
And it's one of those things that, yes, I know the Jets suck right now, but things can change in a hurry with an NFL franchise with a new head coach and a new quarterback. Culture changes really fast in the NFL. The Bucks this year are a very obvious example of that. And I think they have a few pieces that they could surround him with that are a little bit underrated right now. They've got like decent receivers. Jamison Crowder is a better receiver than people give him credit for. Denzel Mims played limited time this year as a rookie. He had some injury injury issues throughout the season, but he's a really good player. They already invested in their left tackle of the future last year with Mekhi Becton, who's going to be a really solid player. Like They've got a few pieces for Deshaun Watson to kind of slot in there and be a really good fit. And I think just with the overhaul of culture between quarterback and head coach, that could be a solid team faster than people think it could be I don't know I I first want to mention that I've seen some conflicting reports I've seen a couple sources dispute that Deshaun ever said anything about preferring the Jets so who knows if that's true or not you know both sides probably trying to play some kind of leverage game at this point so whether he prefers the Jets or elsewhere remains to be seen but I don't know I just I saw somebody raise a good point on Twitter about how The downfall with the Texans is that they traded all their picks away and they just don't have a means of getting enough talent to to surround Deshaun with. So if the Jets give up three first round picks to get Deshaun, don't they just kind of end up in the same exact situation the Texans are in now where they just don't have the capital going forward to build a winner around him? Uh, We'll see. It obviously depends a lot on how much they have to give up for him. One, it's an option. Who knows if the Texans would want this, but they could give him Sam Darnold instead of picks to some extent. I mean, it depends on how much they believe in him. They do have two first-rounders this year and two first-rounders next year. So even if they give away a few of those picks going forward, it's not like they have to give away their next three to four years of first-rounders. They'll they'll still have some left over and get those back in the very near future. So I don't think that's a long-term problem, but we'll see. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. Well, let's move on to Matt Stafford. What's your favorite fit for him? There are a lot of good fits here that I think. I've heard rumors around the Colts. I've heard rumors around the Washington football team. My favorite one is the San Francisco 49ers. I think it's kind of obvious why. They're only one year removed from a Super Bowl. They're a team that underachieved this year mainly because they were ravaged by injury. They didn't necessarily underperform. They just had so many injuries that offense could be really, really good if you throw Stafford in there with Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. The defense is going to be nasty again next year. I think that's a team that if you throw Matthew Stafford in there, get rid of Jimmy G because he's not the long-term answer, that could immediately be a Super Bowl contender next year. So I am 100% with you on that. I have the 49ers as well. I was kind of expecting you to say the Colts because that's kind of what I've seen in most outlets, thinking that he would be the best fit in Indy. I mean, it's just kind of a logical route with Phillip Rivers retiring. They have a hole at quarterback. They're not going to move forward with Jacoby Brissett or Jacob Eason when they feel like they're ready to contend. So someone like Stafford stepping in there could be a pretty seamless transition for that team to take a step forward. So I really like that as a backup plan but my favorite is also the 49ers like you said I mean an upgrade from Jimmy Guwap who got him to the Super Bowl that could put him over the top yeah um, I really like that offense with George Kittle their run game Debo Samuel with a fully healthy uh, season I mean that could just be a really really good offense under Kyle Shanahan and as Georgia fans I really just kind of wanted more from Matt Stafford's career. I mean, he's one of, if not the best quarterback in Georgia history. And for him to be sitting here, you know, as good as he's been in the league to have zero playoff wins, I just, I would love to see him get a shot at making a playoff run. Yeah, he has not exactly had the easiest of situations, especially when you consider the fact that the best person he ever played with retired when he was 30 years old and Calvin Johnson, like that sucks. You mentioned the Colts. I do love that fit as well. That's a really, really intriguing offense too. If they fit Stafford in there, Jonathan Taylor, 
Taylor getting the running game going at the end of the year with Naheem Hines out of the backfield as a really good receiving back. Michael Pittman Jr. emerged as a potential number one receiver down the road towards the end of the year. He looked like he could be very promising. Like that could be a good team. They went 11 and five with Noodle, Noodle Arm Phil this year. I think yeah. they could probably do even better with Stafford. I agree. And I, I just think there are a lot of really fun fits for Stafford. And I don't think, you know, a couple of these teams really have the cap space or cap flexibility to figure it out. But like, what about the Steelers or Saints? Mm-hmm. I mean, Drew Brees retiring, Stafford could step right in and maybe even be an upgrade over 40 year old Drew Brees. And then Ben Roethlisberger, who knows if he's going to come back, even if he does, he hasn't looked very good. So he, he needs to be done too. I don't know. I mean, him stepping into any of these teams could make them a contender or at least make them better. Just in general with this question, I want to point out once again, what a crazy offseason this is with NFL quarterbacks between the fact that there's anywhere from four to six guys expected to go in the first round at the quarterback position. Plus, you've got Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott's a free agent. You've got all this kind of stuff going on there. You got all these older guys retiring. There's just so many moving pieces at quarterback. It's going to be maybe the most fun NFL offseason in a while. It is. And I saw an Adam Schefter tweet earlier today saying that there might be 18 new quarterbacks for teams. That's insane. And it kind of prompted me to text a few of my friends like we should start a pool where we draft in a couple weeks or we just talk about like everyone makes a list of who is the starting quarterback week one of 2022 or I guess 2021 in September October and just kind of see where we're at I mean I don't know if I'd get more than like 15 of them right because it's kind of a domino effect depending on the draft and free agency but anyway it it does feel like it's going to be a really fun offseason ahead and I really enjoy the situation that Deshaun and the Texans are in now because I don't know if you've seen but people are saying like Deshaun is controlling the situation the Texans aren't and if Deshaun can be the catalyst towards some kind of like player mobility player impact empowerment era and the NFL the way that LeBron James kind of changed things in the NBA I think that could be really cool and really fun yeah it could happen I don't know if I think it'd be cool or fun I kind of like when guys stay on teams for a long time but we'll see what happens yeah see that's where we differ I'm a big anti-loyalty guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not even loyal to your left-handed to a lefties yeah. <laughs> can't be trusted in any circumstances fair enough based on what I just said I think that's a fair thing to say but let's move on to Thomas's second question and that is who is the best non-quarterback prospect in the draft? You want to take this one first? Yeah, I think I'm going to be really boring here and just pretty much go chalk, as everyone says in all the mock drafts. I think Penny Sewell is the best one because really at the very top of the draft, you want to go with the prime positions. And there's really three, right? It's just quarterback, left tackle, and pass rusher. And those three impact the game more than any other positions, which is why they get paid more than any other position. So I understand people talking about Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith possibly up there, but I think you've got to go with just a franchise, whatever, 10 to 12 year left tackle who's one of the most promising left tackle prospects and who's far and away the best left tackle prospect in this draft. So I'm going to go with Penny Sewell. Fair enough. And I'm glad you mentioned that he's kind of up there. And Rashawn Slater, you said him. I mean, he's being mentioned as maybe the best offensive tackle in this draft, too. Either one of those guys could Mm go as high as two overall. So I thought about those guys, but I kind of went a different route here. I had a slightly different interpretation of the question because you kind of took it with most valuable prospect factoring in positions so I went with a guy who I think is just unequivocally the best prospect at his position and probably the best prospect at this position in a really long time he just doesn't happen to play a premium position and that's Florida tight end Kyle Pitts Hmm. I mean when's the last time we saw a guy who's just a 6'5 240 freak athlete come into the draft like this and I feel like the comparisons that I've heard about him so far are Darren Waller 
And I mean, I, I, I don't know how to dispute that. They have all the similar characteristics. He can beat you kind of downfield more than you would expect for a tight end. He can go and high point the ball. He'll be a phenomenal red zone target. And I just feel like he is what Darren Waller would have been in college if he didn't play at a stupid Georgia Tech option offense. So I don't know. I mean, if I know that you can't just assume Kyle Pitts is going to be Darren Waller, but if Waller himself in a fantasy world was released from the Raiders and inserted into this draft pool, like how high does he go? Yeah, I don't know. It's a very good question. Hard to say. Yeah. So like, I don't think Kyle Pitts will or should be a top five pick, but I just think that given the fact that he is clearly the best tight end prospect in a really long time i think i gotta go with him for this question you know what's weird to me just thinking about it right now i hadn't thought about this before is tight ends are weird in that i feel like the guys who get drafted in the first round don't tend to be the best players in the league at their position i feel like all the guys who are the best are kind of like later finds darren waller was a i believe a sixth round pick george kittle was a fifth round pick travis kelsey was a third round pick all those guys are kind of like later on in the draft. And I feel like guys who are at the top of the draft, and I can't think of a bunch off the top of my head recently, but like uh, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, OJ Howard, all those guys are decent, but they're nothing like special. So I don't really know what it is about that position, but I feel like you can find guys later on down the road. So that's the reason that I would go against that. Plus he's a Florida Gator, but other than that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have seen kind of draft analysts and just NFL people talk about how tight end for whatever reason is one of the harder positions to transition from college to the NFL and a lot of guys you see aren't great on their rookie contracts and then in their second year and or second contract and beyond become good Eric Ebron's a good example of Mm -hmm. that he didn't really do much at all in his first four years with the Lions and then became good afterward so yeah I'm, I'm with you on that all right moving on from Monday mailbag yeah let's do it let's talk about conference championship Sunday starting with the Packers and the Bucks what a crazy game this was. I think the play that I think of, you know, everyone's talking about the end of game, Matt LaFleur decision that you alluded to earlier to Mm -hmm. kick the field goal down 31-23 with only two minutes left was a little out there. But before we get to that, the last play of the first half was just a little bit of a backbreaker for the Packers. I don't know how they let Scotty Miller get behind him with that deep ball touchdown from Brady to go up 28-10 to at the half. But anyway, Lando, what were your, your main takeaways from this one? My main takeaways were this game was just hinging on a few really, really big plays that all went the Bucks' way. The first one is the one you just mentioned is that play right before halftime. Just an absolutely devastating play for the Packers. You just cannot let that happen, especially like how, how brutal is it that the Bucks had come out to punt and then decided to go for it on fourth down and then throw it deep with whatever it was, seven or eight seconds left at the beginning of that play. That one's really tough. No one really talks about it because in hindsight, it didn't make a huge difference. But at the time, that two-point conversion drop was actually a pretty big play because it kind of changed some decisions later on in the game. And then, yeah, at the very end, I don't understand. I cannot comprehend. I've been thinking about it a lot. Why you wouldn't go for that? Because they still had to score a touchdown and they still had to get a stop. There's nothing nothing changes for the better really other than if all those things go right you win instead of tie but just the chances of all that happening were, were minimal don't really get that and it's going to be a really interesting offseason for the Packers too we didn't even mention Aaron Rodgers potentially on the move this offseason but it's it's going to be a strange one tough to get over that one yeah you mentioned Aaron Rodgers being on the move I saw some stuff about that today and I was like what that's because well, he said that I guess people are kind of reading a little bit into his words, but anyway, we'll, we'll get to that more a little bit later, but yeah, I was just, I was thinking about this game and some of those decisions towards the end there and Matt LaFleur, like 
last year was his first year with the Packers, and after the season, uh, Aaron Rodgers made the comment that he really enjoyed his first season with Matt LaFleur because he said things became fun again, and I think that's kind of a direct shot at his old coach, Mike McCarthy, who kind of adopted this archaic style where he didn't, you know, go for things. He didn't let Aaron Rodgers control certain situations and, you know, go for these fourth downs, take risks and all that. So I don't know. I just, I feel like Matt LaFleur is supposed to be one of these young, cool, like offensive mind, offensive guru types that relies on the analytics and takes risks. And so when he made that call, I don't know, it just kind of felt like he phoned a friend and called up McCarthy and Mm -hmm. was like, Hey man, what do I do here? And McCarthy with his mouth full of Cheetos was like oh of course you kick it if you get three field goals you win the game (laughs) and so I don't know I I just I hated to see that It, it was a devastating finish to what started to feel like to me could have been this dream season for the Packers finally getting an NFC championship game at home for Rodgers. But yeah, now we're we're here, they're at home, going to be watching the Super Bowl from the couch. And like you said, people are starting to cast doubt for one reason or another on Rodgers' future in Green Bay. Well, let's go ahead and switch over to the Bucks. The Bucks become the first team in NFL history to be able to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium, which is pretty cool. And then also Tom Brady, got to talk about him a little bit. I mentioned earlier when we we're talking about quarterback and Deshaun Watson, just how Tom Brady has come in and in one year completely changed the culture of this team. Bruce Arians said it in the postgame interview, just talking about how all it took was one man to give the whole organization belief that they could do this. That's just what he does. He's not even playing that well right now, but it's just throughout the season, the the leadership that he brings, his expectations of his teammates to perform at a high level. He's just the ultimate leader. And there's a reason that he's going to his 10th Super Bowl. That is insane. Yeah, I I saw last week that this was going to be his 14th conference championship, and now hearing that it's his 10th Super Bowl is just insane. I mean, it's more Super Bowls than I think, like, more than half of the franchises in the league, at least. There's so many crazy numbers. I've actually got a few right here. Okay, so do you know what the best single-season batting average is in Major League Baseball history? If you don't get this, I'm going to be very upset. The best single-season batting average? Yeah. 406? No, Hugh Duffy in in 1894 hit 440. You didn't know that, dude. <laughs> just I'm messing with you. That's, Man, I really thought I had that yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in 1894, Hugh Duffy hit 440, aka he got a hit in 44 percent of his at bats. Do you know who the best three point percentage shooter in NBA history is? Sorry, the best three point shooter. Three point percentage. Yeah, it's not going to be Steph Curry. No, nope. you're going to have a bad number for me. Um, Steve Kerr. Yep, Steve Kerr, just over 45 percent. Okay, how absurd is it? that Tom Brady now in 10, 10, making 10 Super Bowls in 21 seasons has made it to the Super Bowl in 47% of his seasons. So Tom Brady has a better chance of making the Super Bowl than the best hitter in Major League Baseball history has of getting a hit or the best shooter in NBA history has of making a three. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. 47% of his seasons making the Super Bowl. That is just absurd. Yeah, but if we're going to go with some LeBron logic, if Tom Brady loses the Super Bowl, it's a huge hit to his legacy. You yeah. got to gotta consider that. If you lose four Super Bowls, you <laughs> Can't, You're out. You can't be the best. No, you can't be the goat if you lose four Super Bowls. <laughs> Man, if yeah, he were just lost in the first round, he would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent. But yeah, Tom Brady, 10th Super Bowl. Guys, freaking unbelievable. And like you were saying earlier, I was kind of thinking about it earlier today, that Tom Brady threw three picks in this game, and two of them were pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
he did not play his best game. He cannot do that against the Chiefs, so they're not going to make it even close. But it's just like, even if he's not playing that well, even if he goes out with the Jameis Winston performance, you're right. He just, he changed the culture of the franchise. He changed the feel in the locker room, brought a, brought a couple of his buddies with him and Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown for, you know, whatever value they've added to the team along the way. And yeah, he just, the way he changes a franchise is just truly insane. And I saw a question from one of the Barstool guys earlier today, is Tom Brady the number one human on earth? And he qualified that with like, if the aliens came down and had like a draft of us, is Tom Brady go number one overall? Wow. That's That's a a loaded question. question, Yeah. You get it. It's probably a coin flip between Tom Brady and Elon Musk. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there would be some other interesting names kind of in that crowd for consideration at number one overall, but Tom Brady, you can't go wrong there, man. The, The leadership, the intangibles, guy's a stud. Yeah, dude. What a freak. That's pretty crazy. And then as a transition to the other game, how about the fact that Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes was six years old? Homeboy was finishing up kindergarten. Yeah, that's nuts. On that note, I saw that Tom Brady is 43 years old. Patrick Mahomes Sr., his dad, is 50. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it's insane. It's just, it, it's crazy to be playing at this level and to be making it to a 10th Super Bowl at 43 years old. Like, this is just something that we'll never see again. That is bananas. All right, moving on to the second game. Yeah, well, before we get there, I just want to mention real quick, we talked about how Tom Brady didn't play all that well, so something's got to give. We need some to give some love to the Bucks defense. Yes. I mean, they held the league's number one scoring offense under 30 points. Rodgers, Devontae Adams' connection had been incredible, kind of kept them in check. Uh, they got a couple huge stops. You know, in the second half, the Packers started building some momentum, pulled it to within 28-23. Then, like you said, I had kind of forgotten about it, but that two-point conversion drop with Equinemius St. Brown, mm-hmm. things kind of started to feel ominous for the Packers after that. I'll let you decide which is the adjective between Equinemius and ominous. But <laughs> yeah, it was a huge game for the Bucks defense. They had five sacks, and that's going to be a big factor, that that defensive line and the pass rush moving on to the Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. That linebacking core for the Bucks is just nasty. The two outside linebackers being JPP and Shaq Barrett getting pass rush has been pretty sick. Shaq Barrett was the NFL sack leader in 2019 with what, 19 and a half or 20 and a half? Something absurd. And then Devin White and Levante David are absolutely everywhere. JPP? Yeah. I mean, they're they're good. They're loaded up front, that front seven. Biggest thing for them moving forward is they were already without one starting safety in Antoine Winfield, and they had their second starting safety, Jordan Whitehead, go down during the game. Obviously, very crucial to have both of those guys back if you're going to face the Chiefs. So got to really keep an eye on that moving forward the next two weeks, but they got a good defense. They sure do. All right. Yeah. Let's move on to game number two, Chiefs and Bills AFC championship. Bills started out strong. They capitalized on a muffed punt from Meikle Hardman to take a nine to nothing lead. I was sick for Meikle after that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, obviously they came back and won the game. Bills really disappointing finish, but you can't really blame them. I mean, I think the moral of the story here is the Chiefs are just a little too good. Yeah, that's exactly what I came away with. They won by two touchdowns, but it wasn't that close. Like you said, they got that gimme touchdown. The Bills got that gimme touchdown in the Miko Hardman muff. It was really a blowout that ended up being only a 14-point difference, but the Chiefs in every facet of the game were just the clearly superior team. Yeah, they're they're just sick. They're, like they're, 
unbelievable. It doesn't dude. matter if they get in a two score hole or Patrick Mahomes is dealing with turf toe. Like the the Bills tried something different, tried to play a little bit of zone coverage, but Mahomes just the way he avoids pressure and then just does these like snake eyes throws where he's not even looking at the guy he throws it to and just does cross body, cross field for a diving catch to Travis Kelsey. I don't know if you've seen some of these replays and these behind angles, but they're insane. Like, I don't know how you defend them. No, they are an absurd team to watch. And every time I watch them, it's, I think the same thing. It's like, first of all, I think Patrick Mahomes is absolutely incredible. Second of all, I'm like, how many smoking fast guys do they have everywhere? And then Travis Kelsey in the middle is unstoppable. You just can't, you can't cover everybody. It's just impossible. I don't know what you do. You really can't, and like the Bills, they've they've kind of gone away from the run game where they really don't even pretend that they're going to run the ball all that much. You know, they do a little bit so that they can set up the play action, but I don't know. You, you mentioned Kelsey, and then, I mean, so Kelsey had 13 catches for 118 and two tutties. Tyreek had nine catches for 172, and it's just... There are a handful of guys in the league that are just a nightmare for defensive coordinators to prepare for, and the Chiefs have two of them. I mean... Who's, who can guard Travis Kelsey, whether it's a linebacker or a safety? You just can't defend him. And then Tyreek's the, just the fastest receiver in NFL history. Like mm-hmm. Both of those guys on the same team with Travis Kelsey across the middle of the field, Tyreek either catching screens and running them for 50 yards or beating you deep. Like They just have so many ways to beat you. They're tough. Does Travis Kelsey, is he underrated? I, I guess. I feel like everyone knows he's good, but I don't know if people talk enough about the fact that he's making history right now. He just became the first tight end in NFL history with five consecutive 1,000 yard seasons. Like that's no joke. Like that guy is not just good. He's like all time at the position. Good. Yeah, he is. And I know that this doesn't, you know, translate to real football, but in fantasy football, he's a little bit underrated too. Like in my main league, the guy who's had in the last two years has won the championship because he's just automatic every week. He'll get you 20 points in the playoffs. Uh, But yeah, he's just like in fantasy, he's been this like around the 20th overall pick. And now I've finally seen guys start to adjust. And I've seen people talking about him going like sixth overall next year, just because the relative positional value, like he's just so much better than any other tight end guys nuts. Like historically, he's probably going to go down as the greatest of all time at this point, if he keeps it up for a few more years. He's so good. And it's funny because I don't really think about him. I know he's an NFL tight end, but I don't think about how big he is until I look at the actual numbers and he's six five two sixty he's a monster he's so big yeah and don't sleep on the fact that he had his own reality tv dating show he did catching kelsey he did i, I was what a legend i he, know he just he did that very casually in the middle of a hall of fame career was it mtv what was it on it was either i think it was vh1 okay it might have been mtv that sounds right either one of them yeah. <laughs> i know tori watched it <laughs> oh yeah dude any, any trashy reality tv show either one of us or both is gonna watch okay. it. okay nice i love that really special stuff but back to the football aspect of this one thing i want to mention from this game is i saw a stat from next gen stats that the chiefs were third in the nfl this year in the amount of pre-snap motion they used before plays at 66 percent that was third in the nfl and yesterday against the Bills, they used pre-step motion or shifts on 82% of their plays. Wow. So is that an, an anomaly? Maybe. But what that kind of tells me is Andy Reid was on cruise control, knowing that they were just good enough to beat you one way during the regular season. And now he's kind of turning up the heat a little bit now that we're in the playoffs. 
and that's that's scary if you're a defense like <laughs> yes it is that's an interesting point because we hadn't talked about that yet is not only are they supremely talented especially in the offensive side of the ball they're also very very well coached Andy Reid is an offensive genius it was funny you you said that because I remember at halftime a lot of these football minds were talking at the halftime show about how the Bills needed to help out the receivers getting them open by using more pre-snap motion and shifting and that kind of thing moving around side to side on the ball so the Chiefs while having all these speed demons and incredible players are also doing that once again same thing I just it's really hard to stop them it is and it's kind of Andy Reid just being he's always been kind of this revolutionary mind where he's a little bit ahead of the curve offensively and the pre-snap motion and just the lateral movement just really puts the linebackers in a pretzel because in a split second when the ball snapped they don't know if they need to be chasing Tyreek or Michael Hardman around the edge or if they need to be defending the run up the middle or covering nightmare Travis Kelsey down the middle of the field so it's just it it really puts the linebackers in a pretzel and those are kind of the the middle middle of the defense kind of in the heart of the field so yeah he's just he's really tough on them good luck with that so yeah next weekend or next Monday I guess before the Super Bowl we're going to talk more about the Super Bowl matchup and get into predictions and everything I do want to talk about one Super Bowl thing before next week though just because it came to mind do we ever figure out whether or not the weekend's new face is real <laughs> i do not think the weekend's new face is real i saw the pictures of it but did you know that like a couple pictures or not pictures at a couple award shows like earlier this year he showed up with bandages all I, over his I face and read stuff. That, yes it's all a promotion for an upcoming album and i don't really understand the mindset behind that but i just i remember seeing after he showed up to the award shows like that that he was promoting an album so i knew when i saw like the fake plastic surgery face that that wasn't real okay so this is a very very long and drawn out promotion for this album then yes and i assume that him doing the super bowl halftime show is another part of this big promotion for the album that's probably gonna be a prop bet right whether or not he has a fake face for the halftime show Ooh, I hope so. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into all the prop bets next week. We are. I cannot wait for a prop bet showdown. That's going to be hype. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, moving on. Um, I feel like we owe the Bills a little bit of courtesy. We do. Let's discuss them for we a do. little bit. Josh Allen had an amazing year. I know he's your boy. He kind of became my boy as he almost led me to a fantasy championship this year. Um, he looked a little bit overwhelmed in this game. It, it wasn't his best effort, but he's a guy that I'm confident will be back. He took a huge step forward as a player this year and certainly is working his way towards, you know, close to a $200 million contract. So <laughs> any way you want to spin it, I don't think he had a bad year. What do you think about the Bills, the, the way they wrapped up the season? I don't think there was any shame whatsoever in the way the Bills went down this year, including Josh Allen. The Chiefs, like we said, are just a really, really tough team. The Bills did not exactly, and the announcers kept on pointing this out, did not exactly have an easy time getting open against the Chiefs. There were not a lot of open receivers for Josh Allen to target, so I'm not really too worried about his low completion percentage or anything. And he threw for 287 yards and ran for 88. Like, that's a pretty darn good game. They just lost to a better team. There's no problem with that. They're going to be around for a few years to come. Also, I think we need to talk about the Cole Beasley news. Yeah, he had he was playing with a broken, broken fibula. fibula. Yeah. I, I So... The tibia is the one that's the, like a thigh. No, the, no, the femur is a thigh. The tibia is your shin bone. The big shin one. bone. Okay. Yeah. The fibula yeah, is either, like on the outside. Either way, that's insane. Yes. They they were calling it a knee injury since it happened, I think, in week sixteen. But yeah, to be playing with like a fractured leg 
for three weeks. Yeah, savage. Yeah, that guy really gutted that out, and he played decently well, too, so good for Cole. But I saw a video earlier today that made me feel a little bit better, and it was Bills fans greeting the team back at the airport at 3 a.m. when they got home. I was like, that's cool. Like, those people are the greatest fans in the world. Um, I'm going to miss the videos now that their season's over of their tailgates. They were going nuts jumping through the tables (laughs) over the last few weeks. But Bills Mafia... What a squad. Hats off to you. I want to be a part of Bill's Mafia. They're sick. (laughs) Yeah, I'm jealous of them. Greatest fans on earth. All right, you ready to move on to some NBA? Let's do it. So first little bit of news, or I guess just thing to talk about in the NBA, is that tomorrow, which is January 26th, is the one-year anniversary of Kobe's death. So just a sad thing, but something to keep in mind. It's kind of weird because it feels like yesterday as far as I remember the exact circumstances and everything. But at the same time, it feels like 10 years ago because of all that happened in 2020. So just remembering Kobe tomorrow slash right now, what a career, what a guy. Yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder, like maybe he was the guy kind of holding everything together for us. I, I really miss him, you know? Yeah, tough times. (laughs) Yeah, well, some NBA news that I wanted to bring up is I saw a headline today that the Brooklyn Nets are in talks with the Cleveland Cavs to potentially acquire JaVale McGee, and they are also interested in Kevin Love, which is kind of funny because they would have to presumably trade something for these guys, but I don't think that the Nets have another first-round pick in, like, the 2000s. (laughs) No, nor do they have anybody worth anything nor do they have a salary cap. How's that going to happen? So I have no idea if that was like a real headline. That had to be fake news. That had to be some ridiculous person. I mean, no, it it was like a legit source, but I just, it makes me wonder if last week Kyrie came back, the Nets lost to the Cavs two games in a row. Mm -hmm. So the Nets were like, wow, the Cavs are elite. We should trade for their players. (laughs) So Kevin Love is making... $31 million this year. So we already established in a previous episode that the big three for the Nets are making $108 million out of the $110 million salary cap. Not to mention they've got Joe Harris on there for 16 and DeAndre Jordan on there for 10. So how they add another 31 in there, that that sounds unreasonable. It does. Okay, so let's focus on JaVale McGee. (laughs) I think that that's going to be the guy. I mean, they can say they're interested in Kevin Love, but that's just simply not feasible unless they like got rid of Kyrie or something. But anyway, JaVale McGee, I mean, they need defense. They need rebounding after they traded Jarrett Allen away. So who knows? Yeah, that would be a big addition for them. Actually, I would like that for them. They are horrendous on defense. Like, unbelievably bad. I don't know if you saw the stats and I don't remember the exact numbers, but going into that back-to-back with the Cavs last week, the Cavs were one of the worst offensive teams in the NBA. They hadn't scored a hundred points in a game in like nine consecutive games. And then they gave up back-to-back. The Nets gave up back-to-back like a 127 and 113 or something absurd like that to a horrible, horrible offensive team. So they can't play defense at all. And they also, we've talked about before, have no depth whatsoever. They can't get anything from their bench. So I think they've like they've done a lot, but they've got to do something else and change it up a little bit or else they're just not a contender in my mind. Right. And I think regardless, I mean, as currently constructed, I think they would at least have a decent chance of winning the East. But the way that the NBA is now is you're pretty much always adapting to beat the most recent champion, whoever it may be. So if 
the Nets, you know, they don't make the moves they've made unless they think they can get to the finals. And if they're projecting that they're in the finals against someone like the Los Angeles Lakers, you're going up against Anthony Davis. And as they are built now, they've got no shot. So I think it makes sense to try and get someone like JaVale that can at least limit him a little bit, have a big body, kind of bang with him down low. So I don't know. We'll see where the Nets go, but they're they're wanting to be a contender. So they're going to start making moves. Yeah, I don't I don't even see them getting close to the finals as it is right now. I think the Bucks would smash them. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, you know that I'm kind of a Bucks hater um, until I see it happen. Yeah. So you don't think can we... anyone's good until they win a championship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's not wrong. But can can we make a bet on Nets Bucks? I've got Nets farther in the playoffs this year. I absolutely have Bucks. Okay. What can we bet on that? A lot, please. Um, I don't know. Dinner at a chain restaurant that is average food for $25 or less as long as it's Mexican all right deal. you have a deal let's all go right, all right let's do, do it. it all right I got another piece of NBA news that I just wanted to talk about because I think it's interesting is that yesterday Steph Curry passed Reggie Miller for second all-time in career three-pointers made and the reason I think that's interesting is because when you look at that leaderboard I feel like it's exactly what the NFL career passing yards would have looked like 25 years ago as far as the game is changing and there's a revolution happening and you know that in a couple decades from now, that leaderboard is going to be completely different just because so many threes happen just like in the NFL, it became such a passing game. I just think it's crazy how we're kind of in the middle of that and we know it as far as the game is changing and so many guys are just going to shoot up that board and be all-time leading three-point shooters in the next few years. I just think it's cool. What do you think? That is cool. And how far is Steph behind um, Ray Allen for number one? Not far. I think he's going to pass him like within the next year, year and a half, something like that. Okay. I'm just curious how close it could be for Steph passing Ray Allen for number one in threes to when LeBron passes Kareem for number one in all-time scoring. Because uh, if those happen in the same season or pretty close to each other, that could be pretty amazing. Because those are not. two insane records. They are insane. Uh, LeBron's LeBron's a lot further away, I think, than Steph. I think Steph's going to do that well before LeBron does. But yeah, those are two records to keep an eye on the next few years for sure. Oh, yeah. And then one more thing I wanted to bring up in the NBA. Something that's kind of sneaky, I feel like is flying a little bit under the radar, but Jalen Brown taking another big step forward for the Celtics. Oh man, he's good. I actually have been asking people, I I have always preface it with, I'm saying like, this is a serious question. I say that every time I go, this is a serious question. Who has been the Celtics best player this year? So that's kind of what I was getting at is it's definitely not crazy to say that he is their best player right ahead of Jason Tatum. He is ranked higher in terms of player efficiency rating. Mm -hmm. He's number nine in the whole NBA right now. He's averaging 27.3 per game to Jason Tatum's 26.9. So it's pretty rare that teams have, you know, two 27 point plus scores. And if he can be... I was going to say Robin, but if he can be Batman and Jason Tatum becomes Robin, they get a little bit more dangerous. So yeah, I'm excited to watch Jalen Brown moving forward. Yeah, they're very dangerous. And I think the most surprising thing, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but is his uptick in shooting. I think he's shooting the ball really well, both from the field and from three. So yeah, that makes him all the more dangerous because he was already a really good athlete and a good, good slasher. So yeah, he's a stud, man. He's only 24 years old too. 
24 local guy too, right? Yeah, Wheeler, Wheeler High School? Wheeler guy. Who else yeah. was on that team? Is that one of the teams you know? That's no, Jalen Brown was, was after me. Um, I'm trying to think who else was on the same team as Jalen Brown. And I can't think off the top of my head. I'm embarrassed that you just told me he's 24 years old and you are about to be 32. And I hey, take it easy. was in the middle of asking you if you ever played <laughs> against him in high school. I didn't mean to insult you like that. I did play against two future NBA players on Wheeler that year though. J.J. Hickson? J.J. Hickson and Daquan Jones played for the Magic for like a year or two. He almost dunked all over me. Do you remember that? Because you were at that game. I was at that game. You guys were winning at halftime, I think. We were. We won lost by nine, which is not that bad. But do you remember the Daquan Jones situation? No. I feel like no one... I feel like you don't remember this because it didn't happen, but it almost happened. So we had the ball. We turned it over. And it's literally half court and it's Daquan Jones and me. Okay? So I'm back on defense. (laughs) And I like set up to take a charge probably like I don't know a few feet like closer to the basket than the free throw line and I it never went through my mind that he might be able to dunk from there and so like he like picks up the ball takes his steps and takes off like he's about to dunk all over me and right as he's taken off the ref blows the whistle and calls a travel I was like <laughs> that's huge god <laughs> he would have crushed me because I don't know if you remember this there's a video on YouTube that you can find of him doing the exact same thing in high school to John Wall <laughs> yikes like, well I'm, I'm really happy for you that you're not yeah. all over YouTube yeah it could have been really really ugly so yeah anyways they were really good but they were in there that's a blast from the past I mean I, I think last I heard of JJ Hickson he was committing armed robbery somewhere so you know he things he is currently in prison yeah like Life will come at you fast. Hopefully, yeah. Jaquan Jones is doing a little bit better. But yeah. anyway, that's about all we got for NBA. You want to talk some Major League Baseball? I have one trivia question, NBA, before we move on. Okay, hit me. Okay, so I was looking, because I'm weird, at all-time stats, and I saw that likely later this year, or probably next year, LeBron is going to surpass both 10,000 rebounds and 10,000 assists for his career, which is insane. There are only two other guys in NBA history that have 8,000 and 8,000. Do you know who they are? These are rebounds and assists? At least 8,000 rebounds and 8,000 assists. LeBron's about to get to 10 and 10. Oh, man. I mean, it's got to be guys that were really good with triple doubles Mm -hmm. and played for a long time. So the first one I think of is Oscar Robertson. Correct. And then Magic? Magic's not. I think he fell a little bit short on the rebounds. Okay. He would have easily done it if he kind of had a, a full career, a but we all career. know the story there. Yep. Um, hmm. Jason Kidd? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Jason Kidd, surprising, because he's second all-time in assists behind John Stockton with over 12,000, and then he would think he's like 8,700 rebounds or so, so like, that's pretty sick. Yeah, I, I'm not quite old enough to really remember Jason Kidd in his prime, but I, I've seen the numbers. I know he was a big triple-double guy. It always surprises me how good of a rebounder he was. I don't really think I understand it, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I'm the same way. He's not ever talked about as far as all-time greats are concerned, but he's a top five all-time triple doubles, second all-time in assists, and 8,700 or so rebounds. And I think he's like in the 19,000 point range. I'm kind of making those numbers up, but I think they're about right. But yeah, that's a sick career. That's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, LeBron getting to 10 and 10 is pretty nuts. If but he gets to 40,000 he- points, 10,000 rebounds, and 10,000 assists, stupid yeah but if he loses to the bucks in the finals this year that subtracts a thousand from each category very true yep (laughs) all right we want to do baseball let's do it yeah we just got a little bit of baseball news go go ahead with it 
Yeah, so I was bummed out by this news today, but I saw that the MLB Players Association rejected MLB's most recent proposal that included the universal DH and expanded playoffs. I don't know how I feel about expanded playoffs for baseball. I kind of like the format they have right now because they just expanded it. Now it's kind of, if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You like the format they have as far as what just happened or before that? What just happened or before that, honestly. I, I think that we've talked about before how the NBA having more than half the teams make it just kind of waters down the regular season. So I don't know. I just, I, it wouldn't bother me if they kept it how it was. But the main reason I was bummed out is that the universal DH is being rejected as of right now. Cause I just think that makes no sense. And major league baseball, it's like, you need to listen to your fans. People really enjoyed it. So please stick with it. And then it also like we're in the middle of off season and a team like our hometown Braves are wondering, do we re-sign Marcel Azuna or not? Because they would love for him to be the DH, but they would not love for him to be their everyday left fielder. So it kind of is messing with people's market value. Um, another guy floating out there is Nelson Cruz. It's like national league teams don't know whether they're interested in him or not. So I don't know. We need a major league baseball decision on this and we need them to implement the DH. It never made sense for the rules to be different in different leagues. The NBA and the NFL would never do something like that. So I don't know. I I hope they can get that one across the finish line. What do you think? I absolutely agree with you that they need to figure this out ASAP because free agency is happening. It's alive. Like you got to know what players are worth and where you can stick them if you sign them. So I'm with you there. As far as I understand it, the MLB Players Association didn't reject this whole proposal straight up because of the universal DH. It was because of some things that were going along with it. So they rejected the proposal as a whole. So it's not completely dead that they could have a universal DH next year, but I couldn't agree with you more. I think everyone I've talked to who's a baseball fan who watched it in this past COVID season loved the universal DH. It's so much better than having your team come up to bat with the bases loaded and two outs and the freaking pitcher comes up to bat. It's just a waste of life. Like there's no reason not to do that. You want the best hitters facing the best pitchers at all the time, all the time. So I'm with you. I think we need the universal DH and we need to make it happen soon. As far as the expanded playoffs are concerned, I'm very against that. I like regular season games in every sport to matter as much as possible. I don't think we need two teams from every division and whatever else. I like what it was before, which is just the three division winners, two wild cards, they battle out four teams from each side and be done with it. It amazes me that like MLB and the Players Association are in the midst of all these talks about rule changes and it never comes up to play less than 162 games. That's insane. I always talk about how funny it is that they, for the longest time, played 154 and there, someone just decided one day, oh, that's not enough. <laughs> yeah. we, we gotta go have those extra eight. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> it like, is. I don't know what the money implications would be, but if they're gonna explain the, expand the playoffs, like call it eight teams from each league like could they reduce the games to 120 or something like it's nuts it is, it is nuts. so long the season is so long it starts in march it ends in november yeah and it's like you're always excited for the first month or so so that's 30 games then it gets heated with the playoff races the last 30 games like why is there a middle hundred that's so many <laughs> it's a lot okay anyway off of that moving on to more baseball news a guy who might play a little dh but should also be an everyday outfielder for now the toronto blue jays george springer signed a six-year 150 million dollar deal with the formerly homeless bjs who will be moving back to toronto presumably for this season what do you think about this deal Lando it's fun because it's another 
division that's getting loaded up. We already talked about how the Padres are going hard in the NL West after the Dodgers. We've got a bunch of moves going down, especially with the Mets making the NL East loaded. And now the Blue Jays are coming after the Yankees and the Rays and the AL East, another just absolutely loaded division. It's it's all going to come down for this team to how well these young guys progress, especially Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. If those two guys can kind of take the next step forward to potential superstardom, like they're considered to be to have potential for. And don't forget about Kevin Biggio. He's yeah, good too. Exactly. He's good too. And then you got if George Springer stays what he has been, which is a very, very good player, like that Jays lineup is going to be nasty. Yeah, it is. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. It's so weird talking about like a dominant AL East and not even mentioning the Red Sox. But mm, yeah, that, still suck. that division's loaded. The Rays are going to take a step back now that they've dealt Blake Snell away. He was their undisputed ace of that rotation. So I don't know. The The Jays can make a run. You think the Rays will take a step back. You know my thoughts on the Rays. They're freaking <laughs> geniuses. They find a way. Moneyball. That's yeah, what they do, man. I guess we'll see, but another free agency news, well, I guess not news yet, but the next potential bomb to drop is Trevor Bauer. I don't know how much you've been seeing on him, but I think the current Vegas favorite, according to some of the MLB insiders, is the Los Angeles Angels, which I would love to see. We've talked about getting Mike Trout a running mate out there. That would be huge for them. And then a couple teams that are hanging around in the Bauer sweepstakes are the Dodgers and the Mets, apparently. So hopefully the freaking Mets get out of there. I can't have them getting any better. I need the Braves to repeat as division winners. Dodgers again. though get the Dodgers out of there too yeah but I don't know it's it's kind of devastating either way like you don't want this juggernaut in the Dodgers in your league but to have him in the division would be even worse as a Braves fan well bottom line we're rooting for the Angels yes let's go Angels on Trevor Bauer 100% everyone who is a baseball fan you don't have to care about the Angels at all we all want to see Mike Trout in real playoff games that would be so much fun just one time give me Mike Trout in a serious playoff run that would be a blast it would and I have one more piece of Major League Baseball talk that I wanted to bring up with you and that is that Major League Baseball is apparently looking at expanding adding one or two extra teams and the four cities that are currently under consideration are Portland Charlotte Montreal and Vegas I'm pretty excited about kind of all of those i have two of my favorites what do you think yeah that would be sick i'm all for expansion for any league i just think it's more fun with more teams and so yeah i'm all about it i think it'd be really fun honestly kind of all of them vegas just out of nowhere going from zero sports teams to three in a matter of years would be pretty fun what do you think well vegas that's kind of an obvious answer like that would just be cool to have one. I, I love the idea of them having a team in every sport because Vegas is just a great tourist city. Better be an indoor stadium. Oh yeah, Goodness absolutely. Gracious. Oh, they they would have to. Yeah. That would be nuts if they didn't. But yeah, they should have a team in every league because I mean, it's just obviously such a huge tourist destination. People when you would like to plan trips to kind of go out to Vegas and see their team play on the road and you know just do a Vegas weekend out of it. But anyway, Vegas number one, and then Charlotte I think would be really cool. They've shown their ability to support teams they've got the Panthers they've got the Hornets who you know I haven't been great in attendance but if Michael Jordan could put a contender together I'm sure it would pick up but I I love Charlotte I don't know how many times you've been there but I think I've been there like three times in my life but we went and visited Anthony last year and place is electric I think Charlotte should get a team yeah my boy Mike Dog is going to be listening to this and absolutely losing his mind with all the good Charlotte talk he's going to be so happy he's going to be freaking out he's going to drive over 45 miles an hour for the first time in his life if he's listening to this in the car right now (laughs) it just made me laugh because you said all the good charlotte talk <laughs> oh, yeah not not that not the band good not, charlotte. not the emo music <laughs> no they, they had some jams though i got to give that to them yeah they killed it are we are we done for the day 
Just about. I mean, I, I guess if we're talking about these other cities, you had Montreal, formerly had the Expos, had a team taken away. So as they're kind of talking about NBA expansion, the Seattle, you know, eventually getting their Supersonics back, it'd be cool if the Montreal Expos came back as well. But anyway, aside from that, that's about all I got for today. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, I turned around and on the TV, we had the Fun Run episode of The Office on. And I just want to let you know that today I ate more fettuccine Alfredo and drank less water than I have in my entire life. <laughs> Good for you. I, I hope that you're not planning on uh, using the new Peloton later. I am not. I would I would Michael Scott vom everywhere. <laughs> all right, well, on, on that pleasant note, thank you all for listening once again. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Apple and Spotify and leave us some ratings and reviews. We will be back next Monday. Hope you all have a good week. See ya. Oh.